In my hand, I hold an artifact. For those under 35, this is a $20 bill. People used to carry those with them. And so the thing I just want to talk about this morning is, how do we know if this is real? What's that? You got to hold it up to the light. There's several ways to test and to see and to prove whether or not that it's real. And so I just want to start with this story that recently at work that we had this $20 bill come across and it went to go in our bill validator to go into the vault and it rejected it. And so the thing is, like, I, I got to look at it. And we realized that it was fake, but the only way we realized it was fake is that we had to do what? We had to compare it to a real one. And so one of the things that I did is I held that 20 in my hands is like I felt it. And I looked at it. I tore it. I wanted to see how it tore. It was, it was, it was almost a true, it was almost, a, it looked like a real bill. And so here on the screen behind me, if I put them side by side, it's really hard to tell the difference, isn't it? The fake one's on the bottom, the real one's on the top. And so the thing that we see is what, this is kind of interesting, a little thing that I saw, and I should have had, I wish I would have had Kendall. Kendall used to work at the credit union, and so she knows about money, right? She knows about how, the things and the marks that they put on them now to try to make sure that they're not fake. So there's a fill, a tilt, and a check. That might could apply, that might be a message one day. But hey, at least it's not as bad as this bad boy right here. It came through, and so somebody took a crown, it looks like, and they, it says uh, copy money, right? And so this morning, as we look into God's Word, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Romans. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, then the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12. As you're turning there this morning, like, you know, in a way, I wasn't overly creative with my sermon series title. I lifted this right from the text itself. Marks of a true Christian. This is what we find in Romans chapter 12. As you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of a background about Romans and, and who wrote it, just to kind of set the, the baseline as we study for the next few weeks in Romans. So it was written by Paul. It was written in AD 57. It was written in Corinth on his way to Spain. And so what we see here, and we pre I preached recently out of Romans, and so one of the things that I want you to know is that chapters 1 through 11, that Paul is laying the, the, the foundation. He's laying out what to believe. You know, just like when we start our services every Sunday morning, at least for you know, the foreseeable future, we have that question of the week. We're laying that spiritual foundation of what we believe. We're laying that theology out there. And so in chapters 1 through 11, he talks about the sinfulness of humanity. But praise God that he answers that with the forgiveness of sin. He talks about that there is freedom from sin's grasp. He also talks about Israel's past, present, and future. And then in chapter 12, we see this shift. So he goes from what to believe to how to behave. So in essence, here we come up and we have the application of what he's been sharing in the first 11 chapters. And we see this personal responsibility. And so if you will, take your copy of God's Word, look with me, and you'll find these similar words in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Here we see, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. 
I, I don't know how many weeks we'll be on this series, but one of the things that I want to encourage you about is, you know, today we're, we're not really going to get past these first four words. Let love be genuine. The key word, if you will, in this text this morning is genuine. Here's something else that I learned as I leaned into men who are smarter than me, is that what we see here in the text, if we go back to the original Greek, and it doesn't always translate very well into English. And so what we see here is Paul lays out in this chunk of verses from 9 through 21, he's kind of setting the overarching theme, let your love be genuine. That is a mark of a true believer. But what we see here in those remaining verses is it's basically one long sentence. So if y'all think I talk a lot, right, if you, as you read this, can I also just press pause for a minute and remind you that we haven't always had chapter and verses, right? That Paul, this is a letter that he's writing to the house churches there in Rome. And so we later on, like in the 1400s, they added chapter and verse. And the reason they do that is because why? This morning, as I said, Romans 12, 9, that helped you to get to where we're talking about. But we need first off to remember that it's a letter written. And so I just want to very quickly, let's just look through this together. What he says, so let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayers. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give fault to what is honorable in sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Behold, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord." To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so what we see here this morning, yeah, that was a long drink of water. But what we see is a heart and a mind that has been transformed by the power and presence of God. And we see that he, as he's pouring out and he's writing this, he just starts and he says, let your love be genuine. And then just out of his heart and mind flows this This passage, it's a heart that has been changed. (coughs) Let's look, if you will, at this first verse. So for me, in my notes, let your love, I, I drew a little heart around that love. Let your love be genuine. In essence, let your love be sincere. Hey, how about this? Let your love be without hypocrisy. Abhor, hate what is evil, hold fast or cling to what is good. Now, now, we probably really don't need to take the time, but I'm going to, to, to find, define hypocrisy, right? We all know what hypocrites all are about. We all know people in our, in our circle of influence that they say, well, I don't want to come to church because it's just full of a bunch of hypocrites. Can we make a time out right there, too? Pastor friends of mine, I've seen them post recently about, you know, if you're looking for the perfect church, you'll never find one because you and I are in it, right? We're broken people seeking God, seeking to make much of Jesus, and we have healing and restoration that need to take place in our own lives, and we'll never be, we'll never be whole this side of glory. 
So it's always going to be messy as, as we teach the new team members as they come on board at Chick-fil-A. And some of them, they've never, it's their very first job. And as they come in, we simply remind them. And I teach them this principle called R factor. And as we talk through that, I say, look, it doesn't matter whether it's your friend group. It doesn't matter whether it's your coworkers. It doesn't matter whether it's uh, your buddies. It doesn't matter whether it's your family. Anytime you have people, it's going to be messy and there's going to be drama. We must push forward. And so this hypocrisy, what does hypocrisy mean? This is what it means. It's a feigning to be what one is not. In essence, it's pretending to be what one is not. It's behavior that contradicts what one claims to believe or feel. And listen, even Merriam-Webster, he says it this way, especially the false assumption of an appearance of a virtue or religion. It's appearing as real, just like that fake 20 that you saw this morning. It looks, I mean, you hey, it's a $20 bill. Somebody accepted it as a 20, but was it real? No, it wasn't. And upon further evaluation, we realized that it wasn't. And so this morning, as we study this passage, you know, what, is, what does this look like in our lives? I think this is the true test because, look, some people, people are worried about what's going on on the outside, but really what's going on on the inside. Tell me about your character. We have a lot of people that want to wave the banner of Christendom, that want to say that I'm a Christian, that they want to post on Facebook that they're a Christian. But if you read their timeline, if you read their tweets, if you read the memes that they share, they're demeaning and degrading to their fellow man, much less their political party that they don't agree with. And listen, I'm here to tell you that Jesus came to save both the right and the left. So as we think about that this morning, as we think about allowing our love to be genuine, I like this, um, this quote that I ran across this week as I was studying. Look at what it says. <clears throat> Here, as we look in this particular chapter, and, and we look, let your love be genuine. Let it be sincere. Let it be without hypocrisy. Listen. Here the word is used to indicate the kind of love Christians are to show others. A godlike love that loves regardless of the circumstances. A deliberate love that decides it will keep loving even if it is rebuffed. We are challenged to live out the highest love and to do so with the highest sincerity. Our love is to be genuine, not counterfeit. Listen, what did Jesus have to say about love? Well, I'm glad you asked. In John's Gospel... Jesus tells us this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It doesn't say you're going to know that they're my disciples by how much you give, where you go to church, where you're a member of at a church, what you do with your life. He says, no, that they will know you by your love. Do you think love is important to Jesus? Absolutely, it sure is. He loved you so much. God loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son to earth to be punished and take on the weight and the sin and the shame and the guilt and pay the price that you're owed, which is death. He took that upon an old rugged cross. He goes to a garden tomb, a borrowed tomb, by the way, that no one ever had been laid in. He goes into that tomb. The stone is rolled, and then it's rolled away, and he's not there because he is risen. We're getting ready to celebrate Easter, and Easter is not just something that we can celebrate once a year or one Sunday a year. It's a fact that we can celebrate that every day. He is risen indeed. Amen? And because he's risen, we have the power and the resurrection living in and through us. 
And so don't you, if, if that's living in and through us, shouldn't other people know that? What's interesting about this passage as you go there, and I encourage you to do this too, is you always have to kind of read and look around. So as I went to pull this text and copy and paste so that I didn't have to type it all out and make sure I didn't have any typos, I noticed verse 34. So you jump back one verse, and what does Jesus say? Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Listen, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, that's by our love, people will know that we are his disciples. We're to love because Jesus first loved us. We're to forgive because Jesus forgave us. We're to be merciful because Jesus is merciful with us. Now, I think I forgot this in the last service, so y'all going to get something they didn't get because I skipped over that, so praise the Lord. All right, so as we think about love, I thought about this. In Luke's gospel, chapter 6, 32 through 36, we see an all-important passage of Scripture as we talk about love. Think about this this morning. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for it is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So here's the thing. As we talk today about love, as we sang just a few minutes ago about that reckless love of God, that we're to love because He first loved us, and we're to love because, and we're to love everybody. Is it easy to love everybody? No. I'll just go ahead and answer that question for us. It is not easy to love everybody. But we're to love them. Why? Not, we're not just to love those who love us in return. We're to love those who hate us. We're to love those who persecute us. And so I think this morning as we look at this, let your love be genuine. I, I think we, it begs to ask the question, what does it look like for our love to be genuine? What does genuine love look like? And you know, I wrote that as I was studying this week and kind of praying and reading and and just, you know, saying, okay, God, what is it you want us to see? Because here's the cool thing about this is like this marks of a true Christian. Like I've had that. Like I'm studying things. I'm seeing things. I'll take a a screenshot of something and I put it in like, like I have a folder, like messages, like future messages. And so it's been sitting there for quite a while. And so I pulled it out at such a time as this, and I'm like, okay, God, I got to come up with something unique. Like, what, is, what does it mean for love to be genuine? Okay, I'm going to tuck that away. I'm going to kind of start praying and thinking that through, and I'm going to come up with the answer. And then the Holy Spirit, he reminded me, he said, you don't need to come up with your own answer. I've already given it to you. And so just like I look in the back, and um, you have Joey and Megan, who were recently married, and at their service, typically when there's a wedding ceremony, we always share some way, some shape and form of the love chapter. Of 1 
Corinthians 13. But here's what I reminded people that day, and here's what I want to remind you right now. If you look at where that chapter falls in the text, it's really written to the church. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, right in the middle is chapter 13, the love chapter, and it's really written for how the church is to love one another. We, we apply that to marriage, and it can apply, but this morning, let's look at that together. Let's look at that together. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So again, what does it look like for our love to be genuine? It looks like 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Patient. All right, let's just stop right there. How many of you have mastered patience in here? Nobody? Kyle, you raising your hand back there. Oh, come on, man. No, I'm just kidding. Kyle might have. Oh, Aaron's shaking her head no. Okay. <clears throat> See, if you want to know the real truth, just ask the wife. Amen? She'll tell you the truth. Oh, my. That's right. <clears throat> Good to see Kendall's not here today to tell on me. She came to the first service. Um, but listen, it's patient. It's kind. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It does not boast. It does not envy. It does not insist on its own way. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices in truth. So this morning as we come to a passage like this, and we are talking about the marks of a true believer, do, is somebody, are we truly in the faith? Are we truly following Jesus? Because you will, you will reflect who you follow. You know, if you're a Clemson, if you're a Clemson, it's funny, if you're a Clemson fan, you're going to have orange and purple, right? If you're a Gamecock fan, you're going to have garnet and black. You're going to, you're going to bleed those colors if you're truly a diehard fan. So you will reflect who you follow. So if we're truly following Jesus, do we see that love like Jesus flowing through us to other people? And I don't know about you this morning, but as we look at a list like this, I see that I have work that I need to do. What about you? Have you mastered this list? As Kendall, and I called her on the way out and I said, hey, do you have any feedback? And she said it was horrible. No, um, from listening to the first message, I always, you know, got to ask my wife, and she doesn't really have a whole lot to normally say. And something came up about patience, and she says, you know, uh, somebody was joking about that as we were walking down the aisle going out, and it was like, hey, we have three teenagers. If you want to know if you really have patience, just have teenagers, amen? I mean, they will try your patience at every turn, every day, as soon as they get up. But anyway, that's another message for another day. All right, so being patient. But listen, in essence, it bears, it believes, it hopes, and it endures. You, you know... I'm going to be kind of radical here for just a minute. I'm going to quote somebody that maybe some of y'all haven't heard, but I, I love 80s music, and so this week the portion of this lyrics popped in my head. It's from Whitesnake from the song, Is This Love? And so listen to what Whitesnake's saying, because I ain't going to try to sing it, because we're trying to keep people in the church not run them out. So we're going to read these lyrics, not me sing them. But they said, Is this love that I'm feeling? Is this the love that I've been searching for. 
You see, friends, there are people all around us in our circle of influence, people that you, God will place in your path today, that he will place in your office, in your workspace tomorrow, that he will place in your path this coming week. There are people all around us who are searching for love. They're searching for believers who will really reflect Christ and who they say he is. They're looking for that. I mean, even the old country song, looking for love in what? All the wrong places. And so if we're going to be followers of Jesus, if we're truly going to reflect who we follow, then we need to take a self-reflection and see whether or not we're truly reflecting that love of Christ. Are we loving everybody? Are we only loving those who love us in return? You know, I I just jotted this down, not real uh, profound, but as I was studying this week, this is what I wrote down in my notes. The world is tired of imitations. They're looking for things that are genuine. They're looking for things that are real. They're looking for love that is real. They're looking for believers that are real. They're looking for churches that are real. They're looking for relationships that are real and they are genuine. Kind of take a pause here for a minute. There are a lot of things that will allow imitations in our lives, right? I mean, how many of you here this morning like to save money? Anybody in here like to save money? Okay, well, in a way we save money is we shop at Aldi. That was even before. All groceries got pretty expensive. And so I have a simple rule, like when Kendall and I go in there, we split up, which she hates, but like I go one way and she goes another. And I have a very simple rule of thumb when I go shopping at Aldi's. I only buy what I can carry. I might look like an idiot about to drop stuff uh, along the way, but if I can't carry it, if I can't put it in my arms or put it in the little box that I pick up, then I don't need it. So a few years ago, I went to Aldi, and I saw that they had chocolate chip granola bars. I said, oh, that sounds great, and it's on sale. Awesome. I'll buy some. Well, let me tell you what. One thing I quickly learned is as long as you got something to wash it down with, it's okay. A few weeks later, a few weeks go by, I go to the boys, hey, here's some granola bars for you. And so I go to the store, and I'm walking down the aisle, and it's heavenly. You know, I look over there, and there's a Quaker Oats chocolate chip granola bar. Let me just tell you one thing. When you've tasted the real thing, no imitation will do. And that's the same thing that it comes with our love of Christ in manifesting and being a vessel of whom he can use, of reflecting his love in our life. Once you've experienced the real thing, no imitation will do. As we think about this this morning, just, you know, I try to be raw and real. Um, And so in my notes, I just jotted this down, just trying to, I doodle sometimes. I'm not a drawer, I'm a photographer. I envy people who can draw and doodle. I wish I could, but I just simply wrote down the word love and I circled it and I began to write a few things down. And so here's one thing, here's a few takeaways from kind of my journaling, kind of my uh, sermon prep process is this, that we have to worry and get our vertical relationship right before our horizontal will be right. You see, as we stand here this morning, as we look at this passage of Scripture, as we study Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9 and following over the next coming weeks, we see in this world, we see this tension between the church and the world. And so the church and the world, there's love and there's church and there's the world. And here's the thing I want to remind you, that you've got to learn how to love the ones in church before you can learn to love the ones in the world. 
Here's something to be very transparent. In the previous ministry stop, I was struggling, and man, I had some I had some doozies that were in that ministry, and man, they were like spiritual sandpaper. As Paul talks about, he had a thorn. Lord willing, I could tell you some ladies' names, and one in particular, she was a thorn. She was a thorn in my side. And so I'll never forget the Lord. He came, he, his spirit spoke to me, and he said, look, he said, I'm not going to send more people until you learn how to love the ones you have. Same thing goes for us, church. If we don't learn how to truly love the ones that are here now, if God sends people, so what? Because guess what? If we haven't learned to love each other, then they're not going to be loved either. The church and the world, we're to love people. Now, here's the interesting thing I want you to know really quickly about this. We're to get that vertical relationship right with Christ. The horizontal relationships will take their place. But interestingly enough, if you look there under love, it says wife, kids and family for some people they flip-flop that and it's their kids their wife and then their family no 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 no. in the in the in the church scripture teaches us that we're to love our wife we're to love our husband we're to love our spouse and then our kids so often those get flipped and that's unbiblical that, that we're to love and to be seeking Christ. And my prayer is with most couples that I have an opportunity to minister to, that I have an opportunity to pray with, those that I've had the opportunity to marry, is that it's kind of like the three-stranded cord in the Old Testament. As, they see, as the husband seeks Christ, as the woman seeks Christ, they're drawn closer to him, and as they are, he draws them closer together. They both have to be doing that. It's a three-stranded cord. The husband, the wife, and God all locked together three in one. A three-stranded cord cannot easily be broken. You know, we talked about this morning as we talked about in the prayer about things that we allow into our lives and the people that we follow, like my buddy Chase down in the low country. You know, he shared that nugget of wisdom, and I think it was right on time, especially as we were praying and thinking through some of these things. And so I want you to read this next quote. And sometimes here's the thing, just like this verse that we're studying this morning, that we're studying that let your love be genuine. Oh man, that is so simple, but guess what? It's also so hard. And so this next quote, I'm going to give you a second to read this, and I'm going to give it a second to marinate before I read it. If you want to follow someone who is going to challenge you with concise nuggets of wisdom, someone who has written about loving the world around us, that would be Bob Goff. His book, Love Does, I'm going to quote from that in just a second. But listen, Bob, a while back, he, I love his nuggets of wisdom because they're so short. But man, it's like, dude, this guy is legit. Like, this is not easy. We make loving people a lot more complicated than Jesus did. Would you agree? Would you agree this morning that we make loving people a lot more complicated than Jesus did? I think about the story of Jesus with the woman at the well. In that society, Jesus wasn't even supposed to be talking to her, much less asking her to fetch him water. But here we see God Almighty in flesh, in, on earth, meeting this woman where she was and having a conversation with her that changed her life. And, he, and, and just like recently, I had the opportunity... To, to pray with a couple. They, they came here, and uh, they were here for her father-in-law's funeral. 
and I ran into him at Chick-fil-A. She spoke to me. We used to work together. We made that connection. And so as I began to talk to him, we talked, and we kind of called up. And then I said, you know what? I said, can I pray for y'all? And I didn't pray some long, wordy prayer, but later that day, I was talking to somebody. I don't even remember who I was talking to. And you know, in that moment, I didn't say, hey, where, where do you go to church? Are, are, are you a believer? What, what do you believe? No, I heard and I saw the opportunity in that moment, this hurting couple who had traveled here to, to celebrate the life of a loved one, that I was going to just say, hey, can I pray with you? And you know what they said? Sure. Now, I don't know what they believe, but here at the end of the day, Psalm 121, 1 and 2 is something I cling to often. The psalmist says, I lift my eyes into the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of the heaven and earth. And so as I prayed that day, and I reminded them when we got done praying, I just said, keep looking up. Keep looking up. What nugget of wisdom has God given you like that that you can take into those situations and you can take into your life that you can love and encourage other people and keep pointing them to Christ? I don't share that story to make much of Chris, but I share that as, as, as I'm not asking you to do something I'm not trying to do myself. But we have to wake up in the morning. We have to say, God, give me eyes to see and ears to hear how you're working around me, where I need to step in and to be that love, for that love to be genuine in that moment. Bob Goff went on to say, and love does, listen to what he said. He said, we're God's plan and we always have been. We aren't just supposed to be observers, listeners, or have a bunch of opinions. Time out, I think that bears repeating. We're not just supposed to be observers, listeners, or have a bunch of opinions. Hmm, that might make a good series. Anyway, all right, so we're not here just to let everyone know what we agree and don't agree with, because frankly, who cares? What a great question there, Bob. Listen to what he says. Tell me about the God you love, and tell me what he has inspired uniquely in you. Tell me about what you are going to do about it, and a plan for your life will be pretty easy to figure out from then on. How has God created you uniquely? How is your heart broken for what breaks his? That is your ministry. We're all called to the ministry of reconciliation, first and foremost. We're also called to the ministry of love, that we're to love God and we're to love others. We're to love because what? That is how they will know us. <clears throat> the other person, we've talked about Bob Goff. He's challenged me. But even this week, as I was preparing this message, Paul David Tripp tweeted this out, had a, a graphic. You'll probably see it on our Facebook page this coming week. But look at what Paul David Tripp said. He said, yes, it is true. All you need is love but not the love of another person. You need the sin-forgiving, heart-rescuing love of God. And so this morning, as we try to like land the plane, as some pastors would say, or as my buddy Ricky, I call him like a locomotive, man. That joker, he, he'll get to preaching and teaching, and, and he'll get kind of started up, and he's kind of going out of the station, and that joker gets going full charge, and then he's got to slow it back down and bring it into the station. And so as we bring it back into the station this morning, I want to encourage you these two things. I feel like as we study this passage, as we take a slow dive through this text, as we, as we, as we take it apart and put it back together of what it means to be a true believer in 2022, I feel like these two statements that I read this week are so, so true. 
Here's, here are the two statements. It is a call to re-examine your commitment to Christ. Is there anyone here this morning that needs to examine their commitment to Christ? Could that be said of you? And if it is, it would be my honor and privilege, me, Pastor Austin, Crispy, anybody else that you know and you go to. I mean, there's a gentleman, uh, Mr. Howard Frazier. Recently, there was a conversation, there was a spiritual conversation in heaven and hell stood in the balance and he stepped in. It doesn't always have to be the pastor. It can be someone else in the church that you look up to, that you think has a solid faith and that you have a relationship with or that you connect with. So it's a, it's a call to re-examine your commitment to Christ. And then secondly, it's a call to reconfirm your relationship with other believers. I think that's what Jesus is calling us to do. He's calling us to re-examine our commitment to Him and to reconfirm our relationship with other believers. As we sang that song this morning, and I want you to think about this, and I'll close in prayer. It's the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down. It fights till I'm found. Listen, it leaves the 99, and then we sang, it, I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away over the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Friends, if we're going to be true believers, if we are going to live out what it means being the marks of a true Christian, not a counterfeit, but a true and abiding believer, abiding in Christ, remaining in Christ, reflecting Him as we go about our way, then it's going to start with us being loved by our Father first and foremost, in us reflecting that love in our hearts and our lives. Let us pray. Father God, thank you this morning. Lord, thank you for this reminder, Lord, of what it means to truly follow you. Father, I pray this morning as we talked about this, allowing our love to be genuine, our love to be uh, sur surreal, our love to be genuine. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us to reflect you as we leave this place. Lord, help us to realize how much you have loved us. Father, help us to, to, to realize how much we're loved and whose we are. And Father, when we do, I pray that we would go forth on our way and that we would allow you to, to change our hearts and our lives. Lord, that we would reflect you, that we would point others to you. Father, I pray for that one that's hurting this morning, doesn't feel like that they feel like that they can be loved. Lord, I hope through the song that was sang, through the text that was shared today, Lord, that they would not leave this place realizing that they're, they're, that they're not unloved and unwanted, but God, that they are loved, that they are wanted, that you have made them, designed them uniquely in their mother's womb. You, you know their name. You, you know the number of hairs on their head. And so, Father, I pray now in the name of Jesus, Lord, that your spirit would speak, that your spirit would work in our hearts and lives, Lord, that we would truly and obediently follow you to what you're calling us to do. Lord, that we would live out your word, that we would, that we would allow you to love us, to be loved, and then to go and love like you. Father, we ask all this in the mighty and precious name of your son, Jesus, and it's in his name that we do pray. Amen.